So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the subject of generosity. And that will, of course, encompass our attitude towards money and giving. And it could be that even I've just said that, and there might be people here thinking, I don't want him standing up there preaching to me about how much I should be given the church. Well, you'll be pleased to know uh, that's not the approach I intend to take. Uh, This week, we're going to contrast two attitudes, uh, the attitude of entitlement and the attitude of generosity. And we'll be talking uh, this week almost exclusively about God's generosity rather than our own. There's no point in talking about what it means to be generous until we understand how generosity works in God's kingdom. Our gospel reading this morning was taken from Matthew's gospel. And Matthew places a real emphasis on the things that Jesus said about God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, as he often refers to it. But, you know, Jesus didn't spend much time explaining what the kingdom of God is. Kind of took that for granted. God's kingdom is where God is king. It's where God reigns. Jesus was more interested in explaining what God's kingdom is like. There are 11 occasions in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a pearl of great price, a catch of fish. It's like good seed thrown on the ground and so on. And this morning's passage begins with Jesus saying, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. And this would have been a very familiar scenario. Uh, men would have stood in the marketplace waiting for someone to come and hire them for the day. It was the ancient equivalent of a job centre. In fact, it still happens today where we used to live in Tottenham. If you were to drive past the big hardware store, Wicks, early in the morning, you'd see 100 to 200 predominantly Eastern European uh, tradesmen and labourers waiting for someone to come and offer them cash in hand work for the day. Uh, But what's interesting about Jesus' parable is that the wealthy landowner could have easily sent an employee to go and find workers for his vineyard. He doesn't do that. Instead, he gets up early in the morning and he goes himself. He doesn't send another. He cares enough to go in person. The landowner is, of course, God, who came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the landowner. The vineyard itself is Israel. And again, this would have been a very familiar image. Today's Old Testament reading from Isaiah describes how God, uh, the vineyard owner, took great care of the vineyard, Israel. Uh, But then in the end, the vineyard only produced bad grapes. So that's the vineyard. The workers, of course, are those that Jesus came to seek. Those who will hear Jesus's voice and follow him. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Those who are willing to play their part in building God's kingdom here on earth. And the landowner promised uh, a denarius to those workers who were paid first. And a denarius would have been a very generous wage for a day's unskilled labor. But the scandal comes at the end of the day uh, when it comes to getting paid. Those who arrive last receive their pay first. Now, there's nothing unusual about that. That would have been the normal way of doing things. But even though they'd only worked for one hour, they still got paid a denarius. 
So those uh, that arrived at the beginning of the day, those who were hired first, were rubbing their hands together. They were thinking, oh great, look, if those guys, they worked an hour, they got paid a denarius, how much are we going to get paid? But when it was their turn, they too received a denarius. And they began to grumble against the landowner. And they grumbled because they thought that they deserved more. But if we look carefully, we see that the landowner is completely fair in his dealings with all of the workers. Verse 2 says, Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The laborers agreed to work for a denarius a day, and that's what they were paid. There's nothing unfair about that. The landowner's not being unfair to the workers who were hired first. He's being extra generous to the workers who came towards the end of the day. The problem was that those grumbling workers had a false sense of entitlement. Now think about Jesus' audience. Who would have been there to hear this parable? Jews, who had tried to keep God's law for the last two millennia, albeit in a flawed and sporadic way. You can imagine their reaction when Jesus insinuates that the despised Gentiles, the non-Jews, are to be welcomed into the kingdom on equal terms. And then the Pharisees, who were puffed up with their own sense of importance and high status, who displayed false piety, thinking that they were right with God. They did all the religious stuff, but their hearts weren't right. Imagine their outrage when Jesus tells them that they won't even enter God's kingdom. While some of the riffraff, the tax collectors, prostitutes uh, and the like, they will enter. Most of the Pharisees didn't even join the workforce. In line with the parable, it's as if the landowner goes into the marketplace and he sees the Pharisees there and invites them to come and join in with the work, but they refuse to get involved. They refuse to join in. And then there were the disciples who argued about who would be the greatest in Jesus' new kingdom. They imagined that their efforts would earn them a greater reward. But Jesus says no. Everyone enters God's kingdom on an equal footing. But why is that the case? Well, none of us can earn special treatment. Because no matter what we do, we will never deserve to enter God's kingdom. We're all sinful, far more so than we actually realize. And the closer that we get to Jesus, the more we come into the light, the more we see our sin for what it is. So if none of us deserve this denarius, uh, what do we deserve? What is the pay? What are the wages that we should draw? Well, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The just penalty for our sin and rebellion against God, of which we are all guilty, every one of us, is death. Now, this is going to sound quite shocking. And we know that God won't do this because he loves us far too much for this. But if God were to just wipe out the entire human race in an instant, no injustice would have been done because the wages of sin is death. We know he won't do that. Now, this is an analogy, and it's never a good idea to push an analogy too far. But think of humanity like a pet dog that contracts rabies. And it becomes a savage, snarling biter out of its mind. It, it no longer functions in the way that any dog, whether it's a pet or otherwise, should function. It would be desperately sad, but you'd say, this is no longer a pet dog. 
It's a danger to itself and others. It's miserable and it's wretched. It needs to be put down. Of course, if there's a way to cure that animal and restore it to the way that it should be, and so avoid its inevitable death, then that would be a wonderful thing. Now listen to Romans 6.23, the the complete verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God has found a way to deal with sin and death, but it relies not on our merit, not on the stuff we do, but on Jesus' sacrifice. Humanity can no more cure itself of sin than a dog can cure itself of rabies. The very fact that we are alive and breathing, let alone anything else, is a pure act of generosity on God's part. So why is God so generous? Well, in 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. It's not just that God feels love or that he is loving. Uh, God's very nature is love. Love isn't something that God does, it's who he is. And generosity is the outworking of love. Generosity is love in action. You know you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can't claim to love someone and then give them nothing. No time, no affection, no commitment, nothing. You cannot love without giving. And as human beings, we have all kinds of uh, mixed motives for the things that we do, and that includes our giving. And, and I, when I say giving, I'm talking about time, money, gifts, giving in the general sense. You know, so we might give because we feel guilty or obligated or because we want to fit in or because we want to be perceived as a certain kind of person, a generous person. Or maybe we want to show off. Or if it's financial giving, perhaps we want to flaunt our wealth, whether or not we are in fact wealthy. Or maybe we want something in return. If we give, what are we going to get back? I don't have to tell you that none of those are good reasons to give. There is only one good reason to give, and that is love. And when God gives, it is a pure act of love. It's not just that God is motivated by love. God's generosity is an expression of who he is. God is love. (coughs) One of the best known verses in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave us everything. And this brings us to the issue of the denarius that the landowner pays to each of his workers. And this is where we see that the reality that God is allu- uh, that Jesus is alluding to with this parable reveals a God who is infinitely more generous than the landowner in the parable. The landowner is extremely generous. He gives all of the workers more than they might have expected for a day's work. And certainly those who arrived at the end of the day could never have expected to receive a denarius. But what does the denarius represent? It represents inclusion in God's kingdom. In other words, it represents the free gifts of forgiveness and eternal life. The parable itself is meant to show that nobody can earn their place in God's kingdom. Being a Christian for 50 years uh, doesn't make you any more qualified for God's kingdom than someone who's been a Christian for just 50 minutes. We enter the kingdom 
as forgiven sinners who receive eternal life based not on what we do, but on God's generous, self-giving love. Romans 8.17 says, Now if we are children, uh, the Bible says if we know and love Jesus, we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So work in the vineyard may involve suffering, but we are co-heirs with Jesus. Ultimately, God gives us everything. I mean, is there anything that doesn't belong to Jesus? The denarius represents all the riches of God's kingdom. The grumblers in the parable think that God is withholding something from them that is rightfully theirs, but we don't serve a God who holds things back from us. Each worker received a denarius. God gives each of his children all that he has. He can't give the first workers more because he gives all of his children everything. When the workers complain that they didn't receive more than a denarius, they are in fact asking for more than everything, which of course you can't have. It's a logical impossibility. The landowner, God, couldn't possibly be more generous than he is. Of course, what we've been talking about is what we receive at the end of our day's work. In other words, what we receive at the end of our lives. But what about the here and now? Well, every good thing we have is a generous gift from God, including our very lives, as we've already seen. But how much do we take for granted? How much do we take for granted? I once heard a true story about a man who boarded an aircraft, and he was delighted to discover uh, that the airline offered in-flight Wi-Fi, and it was a new thing. Uh, He didn't know the airline offered it. In fact, he didn't even know that it was technologically possible. So he got out of his his laptop, and uh, he logged on. Uh, But after about 10 minutes, uh, the Wi-Fi went down, and he lost connection. And this guy says, I won't tell you exactly what he said, but his sentiment was, this is rubbish, it's rubbish. He got really angry and irate. How quickly he took something for granted that he didn't even know existed 10 minutes before. But are we so different? You know, I think there's a lot that we take for granted. Not just our lives, but the vibrancy of our lives, the beauty of creation. Woods, mountains, rivers, oceans, abundant wildlife, the capacity to appreciate it all. The fact that we see in colour our other senses, our uh, sense of taste. You know that food didn't have to taste of anything. Oh, God could have made everything taste of Brussels sprouts. He didn't. Friendship, sport, music, literature, art. These are all good gifts from God. Only a generous God could create such a world. At this point, someone might be thinking, well, what about all the pain and suffering in the world? And we haven't got time to go into that fully today, but in broad brushstrokes, God's creation is good. God's creation is good. It is human beings that are responsible for spoiling it. We'll be looking at that in a few weeks' time. We're going to be uh, having a sermon series on the book of Genesis Uh, but, But God shows his generosity in that he gives human beings chance after chance to turn back to him. That's one of the major themes of the book of Genesis. And he gives us chance after chance 
to surrender our lives to him, to join in with what he is doing, building his kingdom here on earth, here in Springfield, to live life to the full, leading a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. He gives us chance after chance to do that. So how do we respond to this amazing generosity? Well, that depends whether our relationship with God is based on a contract or on trust. You see, the grumblers were offered a contract. Their relationship with the landowner was based on a contract. Verse 2, now when he had agreed with the labourers for a denarius a day, that is a contract. And if our relationship with God is contractual, we'll always think that God owes us. You know, if I do this for you, God, then you must do that for me. If we think, well, I'm basically a pretty good person, so God ought to look after me, then we're completely missing the point. If that's how we see life, then we'll be, we'll be focusing on what we think we're entitled to, rather than focusing on God's incredible generosity. And we'll always be demanding more. Demanding more oblivious to the fact that God has already offered us everything. He's offered us everything in spite of the fact that he owes us nothing. But then there were those that came at the end of the day. Their, their relationship with the landowner was very different. He simply said to them, you go and work in my vineyard. There was no mention of payment, nothing resembling a contract. Uh, the last workers, those who came at the end of the day, simply had to trust the goodness and generosity of the landowner. I mean, what could they realistically expect for an hour's work? Very little. And as sinful human beings, we can't rely on the amount of work we've done. We can't rely on how good we think we are. We can only rely on God's loving, self-giving generosity. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. The Jews thought they had exclusive rights to God's kingdom. The Pharisees thought that if anyone deserved a special place in God's kingdom, it was them. The disciples, for different reasons, were beginning to think along the same lines. Jesus says no to all that. In God's kingdom, the person who is first is the one that recognizes that they are completely undeserving. The person who understands that every good thing that we have and every good thing that God has promised stems from his generosity, his love in action. And if we can grasp this, it will completely change our lives. If we can catch a glimpse of God's generosity, it will elicit a response of loving generosity on our part. And next week, we're going to try to imagine what that might look like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so generous, so loving. We recognize that actually you owe us nothing. We thank you that you don't give us the uh, just uh, penalty that we deserve for our sin. Instead, you offer us a way out. You offer us a way to fullness of life, to eternal life, to a fulfilling life, a life with you that will never end. And we pray, Father, that we'll see just how much you are offering us. 
and be willing uh, to give our lives as a living sacrifice. Give our lives to you and to your work. Give ourselves over to your will, your good, perfect and pleasing will for our lives. We pray, Father, that we will see just how generous you are and that we will want to join in with what you are doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.